This is the word of God. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. morning, we're going to start a new series today, um, a series that we're going to call Sons and Daughters of God, and today is, is our first foray into this series. Um, one of the things that I, as a pastor, I've been a pastor um, for a number of years now, that I've seen repeatedly is that sometimes people get stuck in their faith life. Um, even though you, you, you're quite certain you believe in Jesus, you, you have no problem with that, that, that the Bible is true and that you, 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 you trust that the Bible is true. But there's, there's times when people in their faith, whether it's for a season, maybe that season could be short. It may be for just a few months. Sometimes it could be long, maybe for several years. People start to just lose joy. They lose joy in, in, in believing in Jesus and following after God and the things of God. And they start getting kind of, they drag and they kind of do things on a, on a kind of autopilot or maybe a, a minimum way. And, of course, you know, it, it isn't necessarily even just about, you know, your, your faith life. All kinds of human beings get kind of stuck into certain kinds of ruts. And I think, um, especially when it comes to faith, there is this aspect uh, that what is it that can unlock this? How can I get out of this rut that can, and get to this place? And one of the things that, as, as Pastor Young and I have been talking a lot about this, is this question of identity and relationship. I mean, we're, we're actually very deeply, in our culture, we really have deep problems in relationship because we're very autonomous. You know, we, we very much tend to rely upon ourselves. And what does it mean to reshape and have an identity? Now, in one sense, it's strange because the identity that we want you to really embrace is to be a son or a daughter of God. And if you're a Christian, you know that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an idea. It's, it's, a, it's a doctrine. I believe this. I believe I'm a son or a daughter of God. But is it really being played out in your heart? 
is, does, is, it, is it producing a great joy? And it's shaping you and, and motivating you for your day-to-day life. Now, this question of identity, I want to uh, offer you a question, which is a question that I would like to be ringing in your mind as we go throughout this series. And it's a strange question. At least it's a bit strange to us. And that question is, whom do you obey? Or what do you obey? Willingly. You want to obey this. Whom do you obey? Most of us go, I, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm, I'm a son or a daughter of God. But actually, I want to ask you a little bit deeper question than that. And this, in one sense, that's a fact. But most of us are trying to shape and form this identity. And guess what? The, the identity that we really care about is what we give ourselves to. And so we really don't generally tend to think about this question of obedience. I mean, we, de- we don't like the idea that we're supposed to obey and submit to someone else or something else. But, um, and I know that that's maybe not necessarily the most comfortable question for us modern Americans that like to, you know, like, I'm free and I'm me and I, you know, I, obey, I just only follow me. But that's the question I, I want you to be asking. Whom do I obey? Willingly, I want to obey. Because I think there, that that's unlocks where your real identity lies, or at least where you think you're trying to make your real identity lie. And as we go throughout this series, I think as if you wrestle with this, whom do I obey, and what, what, what I willingly, willingly follow and submit to, um, maybe that question, I think, can unlock you into a new freedom and joy in Christ. Okay? Um, just, just uh, quickly, if, if, you're not, if, you don't, if you don't believe that um, identity is found in your willing obedience, all identity is found in obedience. I mean, um, well, one of the greatest basketball players of all time is Magic Johnson. And when he was a boy, you know what he, he was like, I'm going to be a great NBA player. You know what he decided to do every day? He took his basketball, and then he dribbled it to school. He dribbled it all the way to school. And then... And then when he had to go from class to class, he would pick up his belt and he would dribble it from class to class. Left hand, right hand, everywhere he went. He dribbled that thing everywhere. I mean, he basically had a ball with him all the time. Did anybody tell him to do this? Did anybody tell? Did, was he forced or made to do this? But his identity had a standard and a calling and, an, and, and, and a call to obey. And so he did this willingly. And is he a great basketball Oh, yes. I mean, the, the thing, for us, a ball is something that we can lose, and it rolls away from us, and we get out of control. But for Magic Johnson, the ball might as well be a part of his hand. <laughs> because he obeyed this identity, and this thing was, I mean, it, he could do incredible things that no normal human could, and this became, you see what I'm saying? And so identity isn't just found in what you obey. It's for what you, where you willingly go, and you can see. And, and uh, that's what I want to get into today. That's why today's title is called Identity and Obedience. And um, as I get into this, this is a, a, a profound passage, but um, you know, what I, I would like to unlock, I think this passage has some secrets about the question of identity, and it's a real problem. <laughs> we really have problems with this issue of identity. And so that's the introduction, and that's a little bit of a mouthful. Let's get into it. Today, um, there are, I, I want to offer to you that there are th- basically three approaches to identity. And those are the, in the three parts of my message. Part one, traditional identity by looking outward. Okay, That's part one. 
Traditional identity by looking outward. Part two, modern identity looking inward. Traditional identity we look by looking outward. Modern identity, we do it a different way. We look inside to me. But we want to offer you that both of those are problematic, and we want to get to a third one, which is part three, which is gospel identity by looking upward. Part one, outward. We don't think that's the right way. <laughs> and many of you already know that. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Many of you are trying, us, you, me, a lot of us are in the habit of trying part, the modern way, looking inward. But that is deep problems, too. And we want to offer you a third way, looking upward through the gospel, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, traditional identity looking outward. Um, I know this doesn't seem like it's immediately talking about something like identity. This, this passage here, uh, verse, let's, let's just start. Verse, chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. That's where he starts. Um, by the way, whenever the, Bi the Bible says something like that, you know what the Bible is saying when it says let no one deceive himself? You know what it's saying? You're deceiving yourself. <laughs> when it warns you don't do this, the Bible, it's in the Bible because God knows you do this. <laughs> don't deceive yourself. And then he goes on to say this thing. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly. It is dumb. <laughs> the, the, the thing that we consider wise is dumb with God. And for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, but they are futile. I mean, that, that's such a terrible word. The thing that we think is wise, futile means it does not work. It is not going to work. And one of these things, you know, we're talking about this concept of, you know, we're talking about faith here, right? And, but faith is about life. <laughs> and one of the most important things in life is who am I? And what am I supposed to do? Who am I? And then I want it to be fulfilled. That's what we love that word, fulfillment, self-fulfillment. We're all chasing this thing called self-fulfillment. And guess what? The question of God and the knowledge of God directs rightly right into the question of identity, who am I, and what I'm supposed to be doing to become fully me. Now, let me, let me go forward a little bit here. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is what he says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, let me just back up. For those of you who may not know what's going on here in, in the early in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a controversy going on in the church. And there's various different people saying, I like this pastor, his name is Apollos. I like Peter. No, I'm a guy with, uh, with Paul. And Paul's like saying, stop that. <laughs> you think you're, you're so wise and you think this guy has all the right wisdom and then you're going to follow after his teaching. And then he, he's like, but really, they all, we all just belong to God. And, and it's through Christ. And Christ is fully of God. And thus, we, the, way, the right way to look at us is that we are stewards. That's the way he puts it. We are servants of Christ and we are stewards stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, that sounds really fancy. Um, obviously, it's true that if you're a church leader, you're supposed to know something about the mysteries of God, and you're supposed to steward it to God's people. But you know that, that everybody who believes in Jesus through the gospel, you, this could be said of you. You know something of the mysteries of God through the gospel. If you know the gospel, and you know Jesus Christ, you know something of the mysteries of God, and you know what that means? You're also a steward, 
And that's not a word that we tend to use, but you know what? Here, let me, here's what a steward is. A steward is somebody who has authority to take care of something that belongs to someone else. So, um, you know, kind of a modern day example is if you hire a financial advisor, that person is going to have access to your, your bank account and at, or let's say it's your stocks and your investment account. So that, the, the wealth that's in your, your, your 401k or your investment account, that belongs to you, right? It's got your name on it. You own it. But the guy who works for you, he's your servant. And he has stewardship. He has authority to control, decide, let's take this out, let's put this in, and to handle it for you. That's a steward. And I want to say something about this. We are a steward of the mysteries of God, and the steward of the mystery, you know where it goes? It's not just something rattling around our brain that we control. You know where you, or how you handle it? You handle it by applying it into who you are, into your life, into your identity. That's how you do it. The whole of your life is a, is a servanthood, and it's a stewardship, which is another way of saying, this is a little strange. Your identity doesn't even belong to you. Because you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And then, how you've received the mysteries of God, it doesn't even really fully belong to you. You're a steward shaping it for somebody else. Now, that's, that's, what, the pastors, that's what the passage says. And now, I'm going to want to get into a verse which I think is unbelievably profound and actually shocking. Okay, listen to what he puts it, all right? Um, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. That's, that's no big deal. They be found faithful. But verse 3, here's the verse that I think that I, I really want you to pay attention to. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Um, I want to stop there for a moment. Can you say that? You're running your life, and, um, and most of us, I don't think this is true. I think if someone said, I know lots of us want to believe that we don't care what other people think about us. So he basically says, I actually don't worry about what you, how you judge me, or any human court, in fact. Um, and I think he's not, he's, he's not kidding. A lot of us, I've heard people say this, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And whenever you hear somebody say that, that's a total lie. <laughs> that is complete BS. Because, of course, you do. Now, you may not care what everybody thinks about you, but there are certain people in your life you do care about what they think about you. And, you know, the, the fact is all human life is based on how somebody else judges you. And then on the issue of identity and then your stewardship of the gospel, guess what? It's, it's, it's going to be tested right there. <laughs> Do, how well are you under the thumb of the judgment of other people in human courts? But guess what? All life is a court. All life is human courts. You know that? I mean, you, you, you guys all obviously know about the, the typical thing that we call a court. There's a person on trial. There may be some opposing attorneys. And there's a judge. And then there's a jury. And, you know, there used to be a thing called an executioner, but now we just call him the bailiff. Right? And then there's all these evidence put forward. And then the, the judge and the jury have to come to a conclusion. You're a bad person. Prison. Or you're a good person. You're, you're free to go. Right? I mean, there is a judgment. But actually, that court is in session all the time and all kinds of things. Do you know that? Um, so let's say you wake up in the morning and you're going to go to work. And you decide you're not going to brush your teeth. 
You're not going to shower. You're not going to comb your hair. And you're going to wear your sweats because I'm just comfortable in sweats. And I just don't care what anybody thinks about me, right? And so you show up at work that way. And then what's going to happen? Your boss, your coworkers, heck, even the janitor who walks down the hallway to clean the bathroom is going to look at you and goes, does this person work here? <laughs> this person in sweats who, who kind of smells funny and has got bad hair, bad head? And then they're going to go, this must be a really stupid company. And then the judgments come. This must be a really stupid company because that person actually works here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a really dumb person. That must be a bad worker. And this company hires really dumb and bad workers. And then your coworkers will judge you. Your boss will judge you. And you'll probably be out of a job soon. Human court. Now, the reason I want to get into this is when you're talking about something as important as, say, identity... You know, this, is, this gets into this question. In this verse is a secret of how human beings handle their life. And all life in terms of identity is based on courts and judgment. You know that? I hope you know that. It is. And, um, and, the, and, the, and let's get into part one here. How does the traditional, and what I mean by traditional, most societies throughout history, how do they handle identity? They did it this way, that you would take on a role... <laughs> You would take on a role that they offered you. And that role would have standards. In this case, you know, I, I talked about the role of being an employee at a company. And you, you would have standards. And if you fulfilled those standards well, and you worked hard, you obeyed those standards, and you fulfilled them well, guess what would they do? They would say, you're really good. Magic Johnson, you're a really great employee of the Los Angeles Lakers, the greatest that we've ever seen. We love you, okay? That's all. And then what happens? So that's why we have this term called honor. Honor is just that. You fulfilled your identity well. We honor you. But there's a catch. What if you don't fulfill it well? You know, we beat you with a stick, a really terrible verbal stick that we call shame. And it's powerful. It's a very powerful... You know that you could lose your job, and for some people, it isn't just about money. It's that shame... They just got hit with the shame stick, and now they're just a lesser human being. Why? Because their identity rested on being a good man or being a good woman and then fulfilling my role that society... But this is, this is what we're... These are the kinds of things you're like, that's terrible, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a good part of it, and then there's the downside of it. But actually, the reason traditional societies outwork is because it makes sense. It works. Our society has to work. Everybody has to have rules. And if you fit in your rules, then we'll honor you because then we'll all do well. We'll all do well. That's the traditional um, way of doing things. And it wasn't oriented toward this language that we call rights. Who has rights? Actually, what was the, you guys know the word. It's duties. Everybody has duties, things that you're supposed to fulfill. But some of you are already going like, oh, I really don't like this. I already don't like this. But um, before you, 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 know, you kind of like poo-poo this and want to reject the traditional way to our identity, um, let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's very helpful. <laughs> There's a couple things we're looking for in identity. Number one, that there's a stable thing that you know that helps you know yourself. I mean, if you think about it, you're not, are you different than you were when you were 12 years old? Do you even like the same things? Do you wear the same clothes that you wore? 
Or you do you look the same? You probably have a different hair. You probably have different weight. <laughs> you, 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 you probably, maybe, hopefully you look better than you were when you were 12 years old. I, I look awesome compared to when I was 12 years old, okay? <laughs> you know, but, um, but, you know, some of you, that may not be true. But, so, everything has changed. Your hair has changed. The things you like has changed. The things you're wearing has changed. How are you, how do you even know who you are? We need something that's stable, by which you have self-knowledge. And this you can say, this is me. That's one, a really important thing. Have you ever thought about that? That's true. And there's a second thing that we want out of identity, which is we want to know that I am what I'm supposed to be, and it's good. And you know how you find that out? Other people say you're good. We want self-knowledge that's stable, and we want self-regard, which is good. We want to know we have worth. And if you do the things that you know, your, you know, your, 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 your duty tells you to do, then everybody tells you you're good. They pay you more. They, they, uh, they trust you more. They praise you. They embrace you. They promote you. I mean, this is the stuff that happens, right? And people, I mean, you know, and maybe it's not even a promotion. It could be your mom. Your mom just gives you um, compliments in a way that they don't give to your sister. Your mom, you get compliments from your mom that your sister doesn't get, right? And, and so this is how it works. But um, the downside, of course, is it's constraining. <laughs> what if other people get to tell you who you are and what you're supposed to be, but what if you don't think that that's like, that's like crushing me? There's something inside of me, and we all know this, right? This is why... That's why our society has kind of like cast this traditional pathway off. I mean, a, a lot of the people in this room are Asian, and you, so I'll, I'll give you the one that, that, that I, I think maybe a number of you can relate to. When I was a boy, so like my parents totally used this method of identity forma- formation. They're Asians. They use the traditional look outward. So outward, is, outward is, means you look toward other people. And it's very helpful because it's objective because society doesn't change immediately. Your, you know, your, your parents and other people's, your coaches, values. I mean, like baseball is baseball, so your coach is going to still have that, that value. You know, he's going to have certain values, and that's not going to change immediately. And that's very helpful for having you build your life on something that's stable. But, um, but you know, say, like, you know, in the Asian way, it, it kind of plays out something like this in ways that we don't like. So... When I was about six years old, my, my, my parents asked me the, the question all parents like to ask their kids. I mean, I, I probably, maybe they asked me before, but I don't remember it until I was about six. Susan, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know what my answer was? I don't know, because I really didn't know. But actually, if I gave them the answer that I probably really wanted at that time, the answer I really wanted at that time was I really wanted to be the running back of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> That's what I really wanted. I mean, because I saw Tony Dorsett, and he was my favorite. Fa- I mean, you guys, maybe he's not as famous. He's a Hall of Fame running back. And I watched him, and I said, I want to be him. And, and, um, and if I said that to my dad, I want to be the running back of the Dallas Cowboys, he would have he said, what is a running back? <laughs> And after he figured out what that was, he would say, that's stupid. (laughs) That's stupid. You're stupid. And of course, I'm not that stupid. I'm smart enough to know that that's what my dad will say. And I don't want to hear my dad say that. And so my my father and mother are, 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 are so much wiser than me. And of course, they love me. And so 
you know, then they gave their opinion <laughs> on what I should be. And can you guess what that was? Can anybody guess what that was? What do you think? Huh? Of course. See, you already know. <laughs> you already know. So he said, you should be a doctor. And so they already planned my whole life out for me right there. And then they started telling me all the wonderful things about being a doctor. Right? I mean, and of course, they never talk about money, but of course, money was part of it. But like, they would talk about all these other things, how you can help and heal people, blah, blah, blah. Okay, all this other stuff, right? And, and as a six-year-old boy, I said, that sounds good. And so I bought into that, and I accepted that, and I kept telling myself, I want to be a doctor. I told the world I want to be a doctor. I told myself I want to be a doctor. And I believed that, at least I thought I believed that, until I was 18 years old and a freshman in college. And I actually looked at what doctors did, and I said, dude, forget that. <laughs> right? I, said, I ain't going to do that. And I sure as heck am not going to study 12 years of my life to do that. And then I went home and told it to my mom and dad. Of course, I was very scared to do that, but I told it. And then you know what happened? All hell broke loose. <laughs> That's the downside of the traditional way. It's all about duties and like the Asian way of doing this is like they don't even compliment you and encourage you. They just always tell you what to do, what you're doing wrong, because they'll help you get better, right? <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the traditional route toward identity. And we already know there's something like constraining, and we can feel ourselves being squished, and like we, like we've, that's why we've already like said, okay, we ain't doing that. Ain't, I'm not doing that. Okay? So let's get, to, let's get to number two. All right. Paul says... I consider it a very small thing, your judgment or the human courts. Okay, that's pathway number one. But then it's shocking what he says next. What he says next is, or he says, I, um, <clears throat> wait, 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 here we go, here we go. Or I, that, that, the small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, in fact, I do not judge myself. I don't even judge myself. Can any of you say that? Can any of you say that? If you say that, I will truly know you are a liar. <laughs> because there are, okay, there are very few people who can say the first one. Again, I, I consider it a very small. I think there are, it's a it, small thing. But I think in America, I don't know anybody who can say, I literally know zero people who can say, I don't even judge myself. You know, this is a, the modern way is we, the, the, the traditional way is we look outward. But the modern way is we look inside of me and we try to figure out who I am and then I'm going to build an identity that fits me. <laughs> and who's going to tell me who I am? Well, I'm going to tell me who I am. Not my mom and dad and their delusional ideas about becoming a doctor. <laughs> or, but I'm going to tell me who I am. But now, okay, there's problems. There's all kinds of problems. You know how you decide what you are? I mean, there's a lot of different things you like in your life, but one or, some one or two or three of them are going to become so big and so important, and you're going to, that is what I'm going to chase, and then that's going to be my identity. For some people, it might be, um, you know, I'll be the running back of the Dallas Cowboys, all right? I mean, I, I hope it's somebody with athletic talent, all right? Otherwise, they're just going to become a sad, pathetic person when, you know, they get cut from the football team, right? Um, but... You know, most of us, we, we pick something a little more reasonable. You know, I'm going to be a really great employee, and I'm going to make an X amount of dollars, and then we're going to have, like, a really nice house, and then I will live a good life. What, what happens when you get laid off in 10 years? 
and then your house, your house starts getting foreclosed on. But your house wasn't just a house. It was your identity. It was your identity. That's a problem. See? Or, I'm going to be a really good father. And then you have three kids, and two of them turn out great, but one of them turns into a drug addict. But now, you may make good money at work, and, you know, your wife still loves you, and two of your kids have turned out great, but one kid, what's really crushing to you is not that your kid is a drug addict, but that you stink in your own identity. See? Now, um, I, you know, I, uh, I was uh, meditating on this. I, you know, let me throw this. I, I, I'm not that smart. I, I learned this stuff from, there's a brilliant chapter in this book called Making Sense of God by Timothy Keller. And he talks about the problem of the self. You're trying to make the self from the self. And one of the things he says uh, is that your self is confused and incoherent. Your desires which desire is going to shape your identity? You don't even know. <laughs> like, your desires are so conflicted, it's, co- it's incoherent. That's a problem. So this thing, at least the traditional method, is stable. Like, just go be a doctor. Boom. It's just, it's just sitting out there. And it's stable. And you know what your parents and other people's expectations and standards are. But in your own heart, it shifts. And it's like, it's like and as you try to run, you think you, you have enough wisdom and, and, and desires to figure out who you are. But it's, it's problematic. Let me, um, uh, Keller quotes this guy, Francis Spuford. He's a, he's a British journalist who apparently is a Christian, but he's a very rude Christian. He writes, <laughs> he, like, he likes to use a lot of profanity to like punch you in the face with the things he knows, okay? But I think it's because, you know, Christianity is so looked down upon in England, so he decides to be feisty about it, right? And um, so, you know, Keller quoted him, so I got the book, okay? And, Here's, what he, here's how Spufford puts this incoherent set of desires. He says, you're lying in the bath one day, and you notice that you're 39, and that the way you're living bears scarcely any resemblance to what you think you always wanted. Yet you got here by choice. In other words, you chose. <laughs> Every, I mean... You know, we live in a free society, right? Your mom and dad didn't get to control you, so that means you get to make all these choices and you get to, like, form your own identity, right? But you're 39 years old and you've made all these choices and this is where you end up. You got here by choice, by your, you know, modern identity, by a long series of choices for which at any one moment, temporarily, that choice outbid the things you say you wanted most. You say this, but you actually chose this other thing because that's the thing you actually wanted. And as the water in the bath cools and the light of Saturday morning in the summer ripples heartlessly on the bathroom ceiling, you glimpse an unflattering vision of yourself as a being whose wants, whose desires, they make no sense. They don't harmonize. These desires deep down are discordantly arranged. So that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to possess at the same time. You you understand what they're saying? Maybe some of those of you who are a little bit younger and you haven't lived life, you you haven't quite figured this out about yourself. But once you get a little bit older, I'm I'm older than, you know, I, I I don't know if he wrote this at the age of 39. I'm older than 39. I know exactly what he's talking about. It's like this. You're at work, 
the woman at work, you've, 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 uh, you've, you've uh, that she's not your wife. You flirt around with her a little bit. And you want to have an affair with her. And you don't want to have an affair with her because you're married and you want to be a good husband. Like both those desires are strong and they're sitting in you at the exact same time. Or how about this? You want to be a really good father and you want to spend your afternoon throwing your ball out to your son and having this really good father-son moment. But actually, if you know that if you go do that, your son, he can't throw, he kind of throws like a girl and you'll get angry. <laughs> and, and then you'll just have a really bad time and you'd rather just be watching the football game in the afternoon anyway. You want both those things at the exact same time. It's the human condition. So which identity are you supposed to do? So he says, we're equipped, you realize, for farce or maybe even tragedy. But we're not really well equipped for a happy ending. And then he has this term. He calls it the human tendency to F things up. That's, that's his name for sin, by the way. <laughs> He's like, you know, British people don't understand the word sin anymore because they're post, post-Christian. He goes, let me define sin for you. The human tendency to F things up. <laughs> and he goes like, you're sitting there in your bath and you realize, yes, indeed, you have F things up. Of course you have. You're human. So that's a, one of the big down, that's a pretty big downside, isn't it? Let me offer you a different downside. One of the things we want is we want to have self-knowledge which is stable that we can build our life upon. But it's very unstable. By the way, I think one of the reasons why a lot of modern people in, 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 in the West, especially in America, why are people so depressed and their lives and their emotions or even their mental states are unstable? Why is there so much mental and emotional instability in our society? Well, because we're trying to build an identity on something that's inherently unstable. Your desires are like... It's like earthquakes that shake. So that's one, one problem, but here's the second problem. I told you the second thing that we want from identity is you want self-worth and a certain validation. And you want people to tell you that you're a good person because you're good at this thing of, of being who you're supposed to be. The work of being, not the work of doing, but the work of being you. And so you want this thing. But actually... That's problematic, too, because the person who's supposed to, you don't listen to anybody else, right? The person who's in charge of your life is home, is you. Before you got rid of the judge and the jury and everybody else, and now you're on trial, because you are on trial, by the way. And who is the judge, jury, and executioner? It's you. Isn't that weird? In the second pathway, it's you. And guess what? The you, there's you who's the actor. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be a good father. Or I'm going to be a good looking man. Or I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be a really wonderful mother that loves my children, but you know, even though I can't stand them for like three hours every single day. Okay? I mean, we have that. And then that's that you're you as the actor. And then that, the you as the actor, acting person being you, comes before the court of you. <laughs> you the judge. You the judge is not going to go... Now what happens? You, the judge, will use a standard from something else that is so important to shape the identity, and you, the judge, will rip you apart. You guys all know what I'm talking about? Um, yesterday, 
in our, in our Seekers Dinner, we had this, um, I, gave this uh, I gave this quote from this uh, brilliant author. His name is um, David Foster Wallace. And he gave this commencement speech at Kenyon College back in 2005. So David Foster Wallace is one of these people that our culture just adores. He's brilliant. Apparently, his book, I haven't really read his books. But like, after listening to his uh, commencement speech, I want to read his book. Um, it's, it, re- it is a, by the way, do you know that a commencement speech is a sermon? I don't know if you know that. A commencement speech is, is a kind of sermon. It's just that we don't call it a sermon, so like we think, you know, he's not a pastor, he's just, but he's a worthy and wise person. <laughs> I mean, who, who else gets uh, invited to give commencement speeches at, the, at, at, at college graduations? But a worthy and wise person is going to impart some kind of righteousness and goodness to all the, the, the future the future citizens of America are going to make us into a great country, right? And in this um, commencement speech he gave, he said something really, <laughs> he really stuck it out there. Let me tell you, this, it, it relates to this question of identity and who judges you. Listen, um, there's something weird but true in the day-to-day trenches of adult life. There's no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is what we get to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, he's, Dave Foster was not a Christian, right? Whether it's JC or Allah or maybe Yahweh or the Wicked Mother Goddess. If you guys don't know what the Wicked Mother Goddess is, that's, that's witchcraft, Okay or the Four Noble Truths, that's Buddhism, or some inviolable set of ethical principles. The reason why you might want to worship one of those is because pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. You know what he's getting at? You know that judge? There's two yous. Do you know that there's two yous? There's you that's going out there into the world and trying to be you, form the identity of you. But... Now, that you is going to come before the you who's the judge, and that judge worships something. And if you don't worship God, it'll eat you alive, according to David Foster Wallace. And listen how he puts it. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel that you have enough. It's the truth. It really is the truth. I met people with lots and lots of money. It's not enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual lore, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. This is the other downside of identity from you. It's a pretty bad downside, isn't it? You, you, you ever have a boss that um, you know, has these little rules, <laughs> has these little rules, and he comes out really hard on you because you, you, you broke his little rules? It's like it doesn't even actually matter whether you follow the rule for your, your, group, your, your, your group to do really well, but it's his rule. And because that guy found his identity in power, and his, he feels good about himself because he is over you. And you got to make sure he's over you 
by wielding a kind of arbitrary power that sticks you in your place. See, that's, that's, that's this. Because his identity is, his judge is over power, and then he judges himself on that. And uh, this is what we are like, and it's a terrible place. Um, let's get to the good part. I hope I've convinced you. Pathway one, traditional way of looking outward. The pathway two, the identity that we're trying to build from me by looking inward, both are going to put you in a bad place, and they're going to curse you. But what we're looking for is this validation. And the Bible has this word for this validation of who we are, and it's really becoming good and wonderful and glorious. That validation, the Bible has a word for it. We call it validation, or we call it self-worth. The Bible calls it blessing. A word, we all need a word from someone who can say who we are. And we think, I want to offer to you, the gospel is a, is a, is a, is a third and much better pathway. Here is the one who has created you. He knows what's special about you. He knows, you think you know what's unique about you. My parents don't know because they just think I should be a doctor and they're crazy, that's crazy talk, right? And that's true, they really, you're right, they don't know. You think you know, but you think you know, like I think I know, but I actually don't know. That's weird too. But there is someone who does know. He made you, he knit you, he loves you. He knows everything that's every little foible and weakness in you. And then there is God's standard. And by the way, a lot of people think God's standard is onerous, but like, I think it's a lot worse to be under the God of beauty or success or perfect parenting. Oh, my goodness. As I look at our society today, I look at all these secular, unbelieving people, and they're under the God of perfect parenting. And I feel really sad for them. Right? Perfect parenting, that is a horrible, oppressive God. But the real God, has, he, has, he has actually very sensible laws. And then there are things as you begin to walk with him, you're not alone inside this kingdom where you're killing yourself. Like, you, there's you, and then there's the you judging you, telling you're too dumb or you're too ugly, and you're like, you know what it's like. You go, you go to that, 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 that dinner party, and then, you know, you want to be the person to say that clever thing in front of your boss. You want to be that thing that says that funny things that impresses the girl or the guy. And then after the dinner party's over, then you, the judge, arises, and then you do that, you know, uh, self-analysis. That's the court. And you're harsher and meaner to yourself than anybody else could possibly ever be, right? You know that, right? But then if you come in the gospel, the gospel tells you strange things. Have faith. It's a foolishness, which is greater than the wisdom and there's a thing, and, and our, our society, we think we're so, it's smart to be cynical. Oh, you can't believe that stuff, that there's a God who actually loves you? And then he sent his son to show you a different way, and his son would bear all the ways you fail and would offer you a new pathway of identity. He would offer you his identity, his identity to be a son or daughter like him, to be loved, not crushed, to have a God who has a strange and remarkable pathway for you to fulfill a whole new identity in grace, in forgiveness, in love, and in patience, in wisdom. And so I ask you this question. If that's the person 
who's the real shaper of your identity. And that person tells you, why don't you do this? Do this. It's strange. It's foolishness. Remember, it's foolishness. That doesn't make sense. But most of us, I mean, most of the Asian people that I, I met, I feel so sad for them. You know why? Because they, they, don't, just, they don't just do, like, uh, they use both. They're trying to do both to their parents. They're doing identity camp number one, and then please the parents, and then they're exhausted from that. And then they're like, okay, now I've got to, like, like, please myself and do identity for myself. And so they're trying to do both. They're running the treadmill of both, and they're being exhausted out by both. How about if you let all these people quiet up? That's the wisdom of this age. And instead try listening to a foolishness from God. And a still small voice speaks to you and says, why don't you do this? And your identity is, you're you're really a son, so be my son. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Or validate you. (laughs) How about that? It's a better word. And not, so not outward, not inward, but upward toward Christ who will take you to a father who can love you far better than you can love you, far than any other boss or anybody else could love you, and really give you a new identity, which is, not, which is the real freedom. See, like that's, we left the first one down because like that's not free. I'm going to be free to be me. But actually, in choosing me, <laughs> we chose the worst slavery of all. <laughs> But when you go before your father, he'll say, I'll give you an identity that will really liberate you and will really make you you. It's really wonderful and good. Can you believe that? And over there, I know we're, we're, you, you believe it, but you don't believe it. If you're like me, you believe it, but don't believe it because we're so stuck in these first two. But that over the next week throughout this series that you would start asking this question, who do I obey? And you begin to seek this identity upward, not outward, not inward. Let's pray. Father, we are we're often not even sons. We're like these lost orphans bowing down to the gods of human courts around us or bowing down to the terrible most horrible Lord, me, who really is a slave to some other idol. But we really don't even know how to be sons and daughters. And to receive your commands as our liberation, to receive your bidding as our great hope and our healing. And I pray, Lord, that you know, as we go through this series, that you would release the shackles from ourselves you would release us from the prison of our own selves and our own idolatries. And you would enable us to run to Jesus who would give us his heart, his identity, and for us to truly learn to obey you, Father, and know you as a son and daughter to the one who loves us, the perfect Father you are. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.